الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم One of the great blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows upon us is the month of Ramadan. And of course, the month of Ramadan, I mean, we don't need to give a lecture. I think everybody in this room is absolutely familiar with all of the great blessings that are associated with it. Not only because you've heard of it, not only because you've read what the Qur'an has to say about it, but perhaps even more um, relevant is that all of us have experienced it. So we know what it means to go through a month of Ramadan. We know how rejuvenating it can be. We know how beneficial it can be. We know how it elevates us and takes us even beyond our wildest expectations. And subhanAllah, I think just aside from all of the benefits and experiences of Ramadan, one of the just blessings of Ramadan is the fact that it finds us, we don't have to find it. It finds us, we don't have to find it. What do I mean by that? So, you know, I mean, honestly, let's just be honest. If I said to you that, uh, you know, we're all going to sit here and we're all going to make a commitment to uh, fast 30 days from morning till night, and after you fast for those 30 days, I'm also going to ask you to make a commitment to come to the masjid as much as possible. And if you really want, maybe you can also stay in the masjid for 10 days. I mean, nobody's going to sign up. Right? I mean, realistically, it would be very hard to convince people to make that type of sacrifice. It's just just who we are. Like you put, you 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 create such a lofty goal, and maybe I mean, I, in our minds, we could all commit. I I, I know that you know, alhamdulillah, if there's anything in Deen, we're we're all ready to commit. But the reality is, achieving that is no small feat. I mean, come on, if uh, if if we just said let's fast, uh, everybody fast tomorrow. People would be thinking of ways to get around it and making excuses and um, thinking, well, maybe we should do it in the winter instead of the summer. You know, it's a, the days are a little bit longer now. We should have done it last week. It's just human nature. Uh, even though in our minds we appreciate that this is something that we would like to do and we recognize that there's a tremendous value associated with it, it's not an easy thing to do. In fact, even people from the outside, when they hear of the month of Ramadan, they always ask, how do you do that? Is that, is that possible? Do you, do you really do that? So if we had to find Ramadan, right, meaning we had to create the paradigm and we had to make a decision amongst ourselves that we're going to commit to this, no matter how committed we were, no matter how inspired we were, no matter how hopeful we were, it would be very difficult. Honestly, it would be very difficult. And I can even tell you, I mean, like I said before, maybe, maybe some of us would try to find it but wouldn't be able to achieve it 
but maybe some of us would even run from it. You know, that's just, just who we are. Like, maybe I wouldn't come to the masjid on that day if I knew that everybody was going to have to stand up and pray all day. Uh, or I wouldn't visit the people who were fasting for that week if I knew that I was going to have to fast that week. I mean, part of me would maybe even want to run from it. But subhanAllah, in the case of Ramadan, I mean, I think the great blessing, just to even kick off the month, the great blessing is that we don't have to find it. And even if we run from it, it will come to us. That's a, that's a big deal, you know. And one, I don't even think I have the himma to find it. And number two, maybe there's a piece of me that would actually like to run the other way and run from it in the sense of the work that's associated with it, not from the mercy, but from the work that's associated with it. But I don't even have to think. Because it's coming to me, whether I like it or not, and it's going to force me to be better than who I am. And that's a really, really big blessing. In the sense that we don't have a choice. Allah has mandated this upon us, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has um, put, put us in the circumstance that it finds us no matter where we are. And I mean, look, I mean, be realistic, you know, we all talk about how much we should prepare for Ramadan and how much you should get ready for Ramadan and all the things that you can do to prep before Ramadan comes. But in the end, you know, most of us, we just wake up and we just have to sort of jump into it like somebody threw us into water. You know, somebody threw you into cold water or somebody threw you into deep water and said, swim. It just comes upon us. And subhanAllah, that's one of the blessings of the month. It's a blessing because it comes to me even though I may not be deserving. It comes to me even though I may have theoretically sought an out. It comes to me even though I would not have been able to achieve it. So this is something that we should always be grateful for, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inherently within the deen has created the circumstances that are perfect, perfectly balanced, that allow us to be able to become who, uh, those, who can be, those who he can be pleased with and those who can earn his special reward and his special mercy. So this is the very first thing to appreciate concerning the month of Ramadan. Now, given that we don't have to find it, and given that we don't have to put in the energy to seek it, it means that, you know, we have a little bit of spare capacity to one, in one sense, right? I don't, I'm going, it's going to show up. So at the least, I would just highly recommend that all of us at least plan what we want to achieve within it. Right? What, what I'm trying to say here is that the effort of having to find it has been taken away from us, meaning we don't have to. Let's say it this way. The effort of having to find it has been relieved from our shoulders. We don't have to go put all the energy in and approach it. It's going to approach us. So that gives us some spare capacity. It means that the energy that I might have used to seek out such an opportunity can be used towards something else. And I would argue that one of the things that perhaps we should use that energy for is to make a plan of how we want our lives to be as we proceed through the month so that we can mold our lives into that, into that paradigm when the month passes. Okay, what do I mean by that? So, for example, I'll just tell you another general principle, as you're all aware. It's really hard in life to make a change. It's just really hard. Just We want to change. We, I want to change who I am. I want to change my schedule. I want to change my routine. There's a monkey on my back that I've been trying to get rid of. 
I wish I could, um, you know, get rid of A, B, or C because I know that I shouldn't be doing it, or I wish I could do D, E, or F, uh, but I don't have the energy to do it. Any kind of change in life is really, really hard. I mean, you how many times do teachers tell you, you know, don't procrastinate, do all your homework on time? Everybody still procrastinates and doesn't do their homework on time, except maybe a few people. But Ramadan, subhanAllah, is that one uh, month where from the very first day, we actually make tremendous change. Like everything changes so quickly. Like all of a sudden we're in the middle of fasting. All of a sudden we're in the middle of praying. All of a sudden we're on a, on a new routine. All of a sudden we're, um, our, our priorities have been adjusted. And we get the benefit of having to do that over 30 days, which then allows some degree of continuity, which of course then allows us to be able to think about perpetuating it outside of the month. Meaning it's not a one-day affair. It's actually a full month, and it's a full month of a complete change. So this is one of the really special blessings of this month is in that we have the opportunity to be able to make a change particularly, even though change is particularly difficult. And in fact, if you even just go back to the, I know I've said this before, but if you, if you just go back to even the derivation of the month of Ramadan, you know, Ramadan, Ramadan in the Arabic language refers to like very, very hot-baked ground. There's a connotation of intense heat that's associated with the, with the word Ramadan. And if you think about that from one perspective, the, the heat, that, uh, uh, that sort of that, that heat theme is something that you can think of in the sense that heat has many benefits, and one of it is that it tends to soften things. And when it softens things, it makes, when we know that heat, when you soften something with heat, it makes it more malleable. For example, if you go to a, um, uh, I don't know, like a car factory, okay, like uh, what they do in a car factory, they'll take the whole sheet of uh, metal, they heat it up very, 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 very hot. It literally is glowing. It becomes so hot. And then they press it against the mold. And then it molds into the shape of the door or whatever uh, object they're trying to develop. So it's that heat that allows some a uh, uh, material that is so firm and so difficult to mold and so difficult to change. It's that heat that allows that material to become somewhat malleable so that it can then take a different shape. So in the same way we're human beings, we're totally stuck on our ways. You know, the arrogant is the arrogant, the proud is the proud, uh, the lazy is the lazy. These things don't change very often. Most people, they're one way that it's very difficult for them to change. But there's a tremendous amount of heat that's generated in the month of Ramadan. There's a lot of what we call spiritual heat, which basically means that as we're exposed to the month of Ramadan, it, we should start thinking about how we want our lives to develop and the changes that we can make. Now, what are those types of changes? Well, they, they come in two dimensions. One dimension is just acts of worship. So I'm going to briefly touch upon that. And the second is the removing of sin, which I'll briefly touch on as well. So as far as act of worship works, acts of worship are, are concerned, I just want to say that. You know that everybody has the five pillars, which is the things that we sort of aim for throughout our lives. So for example, five pillars, first pillar is going to be shahada, which basically means that we should always be combing our lives to ensure that nothing takes a position higher than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
right? This is the continuous effort of the shahada. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be the one to whom I turn. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be the one to, from whom I seek assistance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be the one who is a priority in my life. That there is nothing other than Allah. So, yes, we make an initial statement in order to enter into the fold of deen. But then there's a continuous effort that's made throughout our lives to ensure that we're maintaining that um, that shahada and that tawheed. All right? And the corollary to that, or you can say the second principle from that, is that the Prophet ﷺ is the messenger of Allah, which becomes another challenge, which is that who is my source? Who is my inspiration? Who is my role model? So, of course, when a person enters in Islam, they make the statement that the Prophet ﷺ is the messenger, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ is the messenger. But what does that mean? What does that mean that he's the messenger? It means that that deity who I just declared to be one, who is so high, who grand, so mighty, that deity who I declared to be one and mighty has actually selected somebody that I should follow. He's already selected, it's already pre-selected. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that has chosen the Prophet ﷺ to be his messenger. So therefore, I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to look on other places. If Allah has chosen for me a guide, I am going to follow the guide that Allah has chosen for me. That's what it means to be the messenger of Allah. This is what we're saying. When we say that the Prophet ﷺ is a messenger of Allah, it means that Allah has chosen him to be a messenger. He's delivering a message, and he becomes a role model for that message. So this is a continuous effort. But again, it's not just uh, something that we say and we forget. It's something that we continuously make an effort towards, and in the month of Ramadan, we should ask these two very simple questions of ourselves. Number one, it, do I make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the focus of my life? Do I ensure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always at the highest level? Meaning, there's nothing that I put above my Lord. There is no priority that I put above Him. There is no goal that I put above Him. There is no uh, object that I worship instead of Him, etc. So this becomes a challenge, and this is something we should comb through in our lives. And again, the nice thing here, the nice thing about this, what I'm, what I'm mentioning to you is it's already scaffolded. Already scaffolded, meaning we don't have to come up with a paradigm. This five pillars is already scaffolded for us. We just need to walk along the scaffold and ensure that we're keeping everything according to plan. So this is the first thing that all of us should begin to reflect on now, and we should spend some heavy time in the month of Ramadan reflecting on and making the appropriate adjustments. Of course, the next pillar is going to be the one that we're going to be asked about first on the Day of Judgment. And that's basically purity and prayer. Now, I mean, typically we say prayer, but we all know that without purity, there is no prayer. So essentially, we're talking now about the Hara and Salah. So in the same way that we just spoke of for the first pillar, we should begin to think about how am I going to enter into the month of Ramadan and build within the month of Ramadan on my purity and my prayer. Again, very simple concepts. We don't need to go into long, lengthy lecture here. I just just talk about the basic scaffold that we accept as our deen, that there's no discussion or debate about, that everybody can basically agree. So we should ask the question, you know, what, where is my purity? Number one, the purity that's relevant for the prayer. Am I maintaining my purity appropriately? Meaning, do I maintain my wudu? Do I maintain my tahara? Do I maintain the purity of my clothing, the purity of my space, all the things that are necessary in order for me to be able to establish a proper prayer? So that's one degree of purity. But beyond that, I should additionally ask the question, 
Do I maintain purity in the in my speech? Do I main, pu- maintain purity in the way I deal with others? Do I maintain purity in the in my thoughts? Do I maintain purity of who I spend time with? Do I maintain purity of my wealth, etc., which we're going to talk more about in a moment. So this is the second key um, scaffold that all of us should be thinking about in the month of Ramadan, and we should be developing ourselves along that. Now, look, the, the pillars, right, which are basically the foundations of our deen, these are starting points. These are not ending points, right? Five prayers in a day is a starting point. Now, of course, that's the minimum. That's what we have to aim towards. But there's also things that we can develop beyond that. So when we think about our prayer, you know, I would say to you, I would challenge everyone in this room, that number one, my prayers should be performed. So if we happen to be in the circumstance that we're having difficulty performing our prayers, then the month of Ramadan is a time to really hone down on those prayers and make sure that we offer every prayer at its time. And what is its time? If, it, if you can get it in the masjid, it's in jama'ah. So whatever time, the jama'ah is going to be held. And if it's not in the masjid, at the very beginning of its time. The very beginning. Meaning, you know, if I'm at work and I know that I'm going to have to pray lower prayer in my office, then the moment the time comes in, I should offer the prayer. Because the probability of missing the prayer becomes higher every minute that you delay it. If I, you know, know that, okay, it came in at 1 o'clock, but I'm going to pray it at uh, 3 o'clock as it ends at 3 o'clock, then the, I might make it the first day, I might make it the second day, but the third day I'll miss it. I mean, it's just, that's what happens. When you play at the edge, sometimes you cross the line. So with our prayer, we should ask the question whether we're maintaining the prayer, and we should make a new commitment to establish the prayer in our lives. If we don't go to them, if we, you know, if we don't pray the prayers on time, then to pray them on time. We don't offer all of them to offer all of them. If we offer all of them and we pray them on time, then to get some of them in the masjid. Again, it's a progression. But all of this is, an, is something that if we had to try to do any other time of the year, it might be difficult. But because the month of Ramadan is a time in which our hardness becomes softened and our... Um, the environment becomes conducive, it's a nice time to make a commitment to what we want to achieve. Similarly, just as another example, uh, the, the zakah, right, which we're going to have a separate uh, zakah seminar, which, uh, what's the day of the zakah seminar? April 9th. There'll be a zakah seminar on April 9th, inshallah, like we do typically during the month of Ramadan. And we'll talk in much more detail about zakah at that time. But today, let me just suffice it to say that when we think about charity, which is essentially zakah basically is charity, and the benefit that charity provides us to be able to both um, earn Allah's pleasure in this life and to purify our wealth in this world and also to earn a great reward in the hereafter. I I mean, I think a really important feature of charity for all of us is not necessarily zakah because I assume that we're, we're particular about zakah. So yes, you know, the starting point is to ensure that we pay the zakah to make sure that we pay it according to its mandates and particularly for everybody in this room to make sure that we're caught up on our zakah. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, the first battle always is to convince ourselves to pay it and then to calculate it, to calculate it. but there does also lie in pay, uh, a, um, a, a challenge in paying it. So it's not uncommon for somebody to know that they have to pay zakah to actually have calculated the zakah 
but for the money to be sitting on their, for the number to be sitting on some paper on their desk, and they haven't yet paid it off. So we should never be delaying the zakah, because remember, as a general principle, this is not our wealth, this is the wealth that Allah has given us to give to somebody else. Right? You understand that zakah, it's like me giving you a, a package and saying, go deliver it. Right? It's not my package. It's my responsibility to deliver that package. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses me with $100, assuming that I have so much wealth, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses me with $100, 2.5% of that is not even mine. It's already somebody else's. It's already allotted for. My responsibility is to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to respect the, the needs of others, and to remove that and to ensure that I distribute that. Now, of course, that's the entry-level charity. But I think in the month of Ramadan, aside from focusing on the basics of the entry-level charity, all of us should begin to think about how are we going to leverage the opportunity that Allah has given us to spend from the abundant wealth that he has bestowed upon us. This, you know, to me, honestly, this is the biggest challenge that faces uh, us in this day and age. This is one of the biggest challenges. Because we live in a society where even the person who's making an average income is wealthier than the vast majority of people that have lived on the planet. Okay? I mean, I know people like to look at what they have and then look at the rest of the people who have above them and feel like they don't have much. But I can tell you, even the minimum, you know, what, what they call the poverty, poverty level in the United States is better than like 83% of the rest of the world today, right? So even the person that's quote-unquote at poverty level in the U.S., uh, I was just looking up this data, and I don't want to quote it because it's, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but just I'm giving you the rough data because I was just reading about this. That, you know, subhanAllah, and then you look at historically how people lived and how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon us. So what that means is that you have to have a plan. Yesterday, two days ago, two days ago I was talking to a brother, two days ago, two, three days ago, and this brother happens to be involved in business. And he said to me, uh, you know, subhanAllah, Allah has blessed me in so many ways. And my business has become just something far more than I ever imagined. So would it be okay for me to go and make a purchase of something nice that I've wanted for some time? It's a fair question, right? You know, I'm working hard, I've made some money, and would it be okay for me to go and make a purchase of something nice that I've wanted for some time? And he himself said to me, I, part of me says, eh, this is a little bit superfluous and a little bit excessive. But the other part of me says, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me, and alhamdulillah, this is also an opportunity, and it might be something that I could enjoy and be grateful for. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, this question you're asking way late. You're asking this question way late. Because you have to have a paradigm before you find yourself in a circumstance about how you're going to handle that circumstance. You can't be thrown in the middle of it and then now wonder, what should I do? You know, like what they, like there's a saying that um, free time is the devil's workshop. You've heard this saying? Free time is the devil's workshop. What that means is it's not a good idea to leave open free time because what happens is the devil will, shaitan, 
will leverage that opportunity to make you waste it. Right? You can also apply that to wealth. Excess wealth is the devil's workshop. What that means here, what I, what I intend by that, by that statement is that if a person has excess wealth but hasn't made a plan beforehand, just like if a person has excess time but hasn't made a plan beforehand about how to fill it, then it can be extremely damaging because all that a person will justify is why they should do the things that they do without seeing the bigger picture of all the opportunity that sits before them. So I said to him, like, this is late. The fact that you're asking this question now, this is very late. The plan should have been in place and needs to be put into place now that as my wealth grows, what am I going to do with that wealth and how am I going to handle it in a way that will make me successful in this life and the next? It can't just like hit you randomly and then now you're trying to figure it out because temptation, chaton, the world's pressures, all the people around us, they'll completely confuse us. You know, for example, I'll just give you a principle. You know, like you could say to yourself, here's just one plan. I'll, I'll just lay one plan out as an example. You could say to yourself, okay, um, you know, why don't we just follow the tax law? Again, I'm making this up as I'm speaking, but I'm just saying, here's one example. You could say to yourself, uh, I'm going to use a, what do they call that, bracket. You know, I'm going to use a bracketed system, which basically means that, okay, the first uh, 50,000 that I make, uh, we're going to give uh, 0.1% sadaqah, right? Or 0.2% or whatever. Again, I'm not trying to make up a number because I'm not trying to challenge zakah. I just want to make it clear. By the way, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you have to have a paradigm. That's all I'm trying to say. So, for example, you say to yourself, um, you know, okay, let's do it another way. My first 20000 of expenses in a year, no sataka. And if I, have, if I spend up another 20000 so 20000 to 40000 every dollar that I spend, I'm going to give uh, 5%. Right? And if I go beyond that and I make a bigger purchase, then every dollar that I spend, it's going to be 10% sadaqah. So there, but there has to be some paradigm. Right? So in this case, you know, the brother said, well, I want to buy this thing, and uh, I, I'm confused about what I should do. So I, I told him two things. I said, the first thing is you can buy it. So first of all, he said, is it permissible? Okay, what would make it impermissible if you bought it with the intention of attracting the attention of others? For example, if you bought that thing and you said, people are going to see me in this, then that makes it impermissible. Because now you're trying to compete, you're trying to attract attention to you and all attention should be towards Allah. So now you essentially are competing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is not permissible. So if the purpose is to draw people's attention, draw people's praise, draw people's, uh, you know, you want people to be focused on you, then that's problematic. Now what if the intention is just simply to enjoy or to be grateful or to uh, exhibit gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a blessing? Okay, no problem, like I said. But then I said, okay, if that's the case, no problem, but with one caveat. You keep it relatively hidden. Not obsessively, purposely, you're trying to hide this from everybody, 
but you keep it relatively hidden because the next problem that you're going to face is that somebody is going to come and give you some evil eye, which we know that there's truth in that, right? So we don't want to unnecessarily draw the attention of the people who will become envious, which is very quick in human nature to become envious. So second rule, you keep it, assuming it's permissible, you keep it relatively hidden. And then the third rule, which gets to the point that I was just trying to make, the third rule is that you should figure out some paradigm that is going to allow you to ensure that you also fulfill the rights of others as you spend this on yourself. So for example, maybe you make a rule that if I'm going to buy such a thing, then I'm going to donate the same amount to the poor. Right? So I'm going to tax myself 100%. Call it a luxury tax. Right? A dunya tax. A dunya tax so that I can gain the akhirah. It could be it could be hundred percent. You could say, no, okay, let's be realistic, it's gonna be fifty percent. It could be ten percent. But it's gotta be something, right? Meaning that should have been decided way long ago. Like you should decide that before you have any money in your hand. Not when you get money and then you're confused and Shaitan is telling you, but you need this and but this and but that and but this. No, well beforehand you should say to yourself, you know, if I said to you, when you were, before you even made any big amount of money, I said to you, you know, what do you think would be a fair percentage? You would be much more likely to come up with a number that's appropriate than if you were caught in the middle of it when it becomes very difficult. You know, if I say to you today, zakah is 2.5%, you say, 2.5%? That's so easy, right? But then when the people who have bigger, big zakah bills, you, you, you talk to them, they say, man, this is tough. How did it become tough all of a sudden? Like, essentially what this means is that you've got so much excess that you become both rich and you're giving a zakah number that feels tough. Although, relatively speaking, it's not, it shouldn't be that tough. But see, this is the nature of things. When you try to make a decision in the middle of something, it becomes very hard. Whereas if you look at it externally and you're put into that thing, then it becomes doable, right? Like I said to you, by the way, like I said to you, that if we all said we're going to fast for 30 days, nobody would do it, right? I mean, the, real, the reality is that none of us would do it. But if I told you that we have no choice, we're being put in it, you can come and looking, it's coming at you. Okay, you set yourself and you're ready to do it. So in the same way, unless there's a paradigm that pre-exists the circumstance, it's going to be very difficult to respond to it. It's going to be very difficult to respond to it. So, I mean, everybody can make a rule for themselves, you know. Maybe you have two credit cards, one for necessary expenses and everything else that's quote-unquote over-the-top, luxurious, extra. Right? And then you basically say to yourself, okay, every time I spend a thousand on my family for something that's above and beyond what most people would have, I'm going to spend an equal amount in charity. Or I'm going to spend half of that amount in charity. Or I'm going to spend 10% of that amount in charity. Or 2%. I don't know. You decide what you think is fair. I mean, look at it from the outside, not from your circumstance. Look at it from the outside. Right? I'm going on a nice vacation, and most people in the world wouldn't be able to afford that vacation. So what is the tax? What is the dunya tax? What is the way by which I can ensure that I'm also building my hereafter in the same way? Okay, why did I get on this topic? Because I was talking about the whole notion that in Ramadan, there should be an intention to develop oneself beyond what, to have a plan for what you're trying to achieve. So this is the time, you know, when you go through your finances, in, particularly when a person goes through their zakah. Ramadan is that one time where people actually really focus on their zakah. 
So this is the time to make a much broader plan about how am I going to deal with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed me with? How am I going to leverage this opportunity so that I can ensure that I get the hereafter as a consequence of it? So this is something that all of us should really spend some time thinking about. Again, you know, there's a thought coming in my head. I'll just share it. When Sahaba, Sahaba were just phenomenal in the, in the sadaqah that they gave. Both the zakah, of course, and the sadaqah that they gave. I mean, they would take the shirt off their back and give it to their neighbor. That was not uncommon. It was like common. They would compete in that way. But you also have to think about Sahaba. How were they receiving their wealth? There was no guaranteed social security check coming from the government. There was no guaranteed contractual income that they were going to receive. You know, they're getting the paycheck every month, $10,000, $5,000, $3,000. There was none of that. They didn't know where, their, where tomorrow's money was going to come from. They would go to the market, and they would hope that someone would buy their goods. They would obtain something from one end of the world, and they would hope that they could trade it and sell it at the other end of the world. But at any moment, anything could go wrong. There was no guaranteed income that was going to show up in their bank account, let alone the ability to save. They didn't even have the ability to amass these, amass these bank accounts we have. Where would you put the wealth? There was no bank. If you kept a bunch of wealth, somebody would take it from you. You know, they would bury it, hide it away somewhere on occasion. But it was not easy, right? I mean, to be able to amass that type of wealth. So if Sahaba... Right? All of the challenges that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling for sadaqah, zakah, etc. And sahaba are rising to that challenge, but they're rising in that, to that challenge in the face of tomorrow's uncertainty. Then where do we find ourselves when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us certainty of what's going, relative certainty of what's going to come tomorrow? Nobody in this room, unless you lost your job, nobody in this room is thinking about uh, what's my paycheck going to be tomorrow. In two weeks, when my next paycheck comes, or in one month, when my next paycheck comes, nobody in this room is thinking. Nobody has lost any sleep wondering if they're going to make a transaction tomorrow that's going to result in their paycheck coming full. We have, like, faith in our paycheck. Faith that the paycheck is going to come. So I would argue, perhaps, I mean, theoretically, you can make this argument, that that makes us more responsible, not, not less responsible. It makes us more responsible for the opportunity of leveraging this zakat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon us and the opportunity for sadaqah that comes as an extension of it. So again, why am I mentioning this? Because the general principle of our deen is that zakat is a pillar, but like all pillars, it's a starting point. Just like prayer is a starting point to much, much, many, many different acts of ibadah. And purity is a starting point to developing deeper purity in many different spheres of our life. And the shahada and is a, is a starting point to ensure that the Prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet remain front and center in our lives throughout from, from every, in every day that we live. So in the same way, zakah is a starting point. And Ramadan is the month to sit and think about and create a plan as a family. Sit down and say, look, we need to think of this globally. What's the paradigm going to be? What's the principle? Okay, and then the last is the concept of hajj. And, of course, hajj is a once-in-a-lifetime journey, but I'll just make an argument that maybe that's a starting point, not an end point. Just like every pillar is a start point. So what that means is that it's teaching us that it's important to move oneself to achieve the goals of our deen. What does that mean? 
It means that there has to be movement, that there has to be effort, that there has to be, a person has to chase the opportunity. That's kind of what Hajj teaches, right? You got to get up, you got to book a ticket, you got to go to another place, you got to have an intention, and then you make tawaf and you make sa'i. Sa'i just literally means to walk with an effort, right? To walk with an intended effort. So in the same way, Hajj is like a movement. So all of us in our lives should have places that we go to, that we make effort towards, that allow us to be able to advance in our deen. Right? Like, I mean, I could just tell you, if somebody sits at home all day and says, I'm looking for a job, now it's changed a little bit because you move metaphysically, you don't move physically. But let's say 20 years ago, somebody would say, sits, sitting at home all day and says, I'm looking for a job, you'd say, get up. You got to go, you want to look for a job, you got to go look for the signs, you got to go knock on doors, you got to go check out the stores. You don't just, the job, job's not going to just fall on your lap. You got to make movement to achieve it. And I'll give you a better example today. Somebody says, you know, I want to become a lawyer, but they sit home all day. So you can't become a lawyer sitting home all day. You got to get up and you got to go and you got to get put yourself in the company of the people that are studying law. You got to make an effort. You got to show up at the school. You got to attend class. You got to show up at the exams. When you do these things, you've walked in a direction. You've headed towards something. You've made an effort. You've made the journey. You'll receive the consequence of the journey. Hajj is basically that. It's teaching you that a person needs to make the ultimate movement and the ultimate effort in order to be able to achieve the great rewards of this deen, which are basically, you know, summated in forgiveness of the past sins and the reward of Jannah for an accepted Hajj. But it's a lesson. It's a broader lesson. The broader lesson is that I need to travel, make movement, make effort, get up, go in a direction in order to be able to achieve the goals of my deen. So we should ask ourselves, you know, it's one thing to have a plan. It's another thing to have an idea about how to effectuate that plan. So, I mean, for example, you know, the first step in any journey is to appreciate you need to take the journey. Right? The first step in any journey is to appreciate that you need to take the journey. So, if, my, if, I, make it, if I appreciate the value of the Qur'an, and I've made an intention to deepen myself in, with the Qur'an, then that's an intention. That's a wonderful thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward an intention. But that's not going to occur just by an intention alone. I have to now make an effort towards the Qur'an, which basically means I need to get up and put myself in the company of people that are working on the Qur'an. I need to find the teachers of the Qur'an. I need to find the circles of the Qur'an. I need to then put myself in the company of all those types of people. And then by being in that company, I'll be able to be taught about what effort I can make. And when I make that effort, then inshallah I'll be able to achieve my goal. So maybe from one perspective, Hajj is just a little lesson which teaches us this principle. And in the month of Ramadan, I would argue that the same thing needs to be done in the case of our deen, which is basically we should ask the question, where do I want to go? What journey am I going to make? What am I going to, what effort am I going to make? What direction am I going to head in in order to be able to achieve my goals? So as this month of Ramadan comes, it's very, very important for us to not lose the opportunity that's before us. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have months away from Ramadan, and I'm always thinking in the back of my head, I wish I could talk to this person two weeks before Ramadan. Because if I talked to them two weeks before Ramadan, I would have been able to lay out a paradigm, they would have taken Ramadan in, they would have followed it, and then inshallah they would have benefited. Now I'm talking to them, Ramadan is six months away, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get them to their uh, desired destination. So this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is about to bestow upon us something that we ourselves would never be able to produce. Maybe we might have even run from it if we were challenged by it. 
And certainly, we would never be able to convince ourselves to do it except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts it upon us and makes it easy for us. We don't want to let that go. We don't want to waste that. We want to have a plan in place. And I'm not saying, you know, you could become very nebulous and create all of these different ideas in your head and then nothing gets done. Just make it very simple. Just scaffold off the pillars of the deen. Ask myself the simple question, what does the shahada mean to me and how am I going to integrate it in my life throughout the month of Ramadan? What is prayer, what is purity and what is purification and prayer mean to me? How, how is it exhibited in my life? How am I going to be able to achieve and advance it in the month of Ramadan? What does charity mean to me? What has Allah blessed me with? How am I taking advantage of the blessings that Allah has bestowed upon me? And how am I going to leverage that both to ensure that my pillar is intact in the month of Ramadan and also to ensure that what's beyond it, because again, zakah is just a first step on a very, very long journey, what's beyond it is also uh, taken advantage of. And then finally, the hajj. Of course, nobody's going for hajj in Ramadan, but many people are thinking about hajj in Ramadan. But just as important, I would argue that we should think about what journeys we're going to make in our deen. Where am I? What am I trying to achieve? Where am I going to make my effort? How am I going to achieve those goals? And Ramadan is a really nice opportunity to be able to reflect on all that. Outside of Ramadan, it's really difficult. There's so much competition for our time. Uh, we're so busy, caught up in feeding ourselves and uh, spending our time to ensure that we're comfortable. That we just that op- that environment just doesn't exist. But with the month of Ramadan, the opportunity is before us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to appreciate the upcoming month, and may He make us amongst those who are able to leverage the opportunity, and may He make us amongst those who are able to achieve, who will be able to set out lofty goals and achieve them beyond the, the beyond the uh, beyond the month or once the month ends.